At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Ren Navarro of Beer Diversity in Waterloo, Ontario. Ren Navarro is addressing the lack of diversity in the beer industry with over a decade of experience in the alcohol industry, a passion for encouraging personal and professional growth, and her trademark wit, Ren is here to educate, enlighten, and engage. Since launching Beer Diversity in 2018, Ren has become a known name in breweries, wineries, distilleries, and beyond. She's given talks on diversity and inclusion at several colleges and countless festivals, panels, radio shows, and podcasts throughout North America. In addition to being a diversity educator, she's a craft beer consultant for bars and restaurants in Ontario and an educator for countless businesses throughout the country. Ren, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we're delighted to have you here. But before we get into that, all that, let me ask you our trademark first question, which is to make sure that entrepreneurial listeners stay glued to their seats. What's the top piece of advice that you hope fellow entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the one thing that a really good friend of mine said to me early days of my entrepreneurial. Uh, trip and travels and, and expeditions mm -hmm. through all of this is hustle so hard that even your haters will ask if you are hiring. <laughs> that is one of the best uh, pieces of advice I've ever heard. Hustle so hard that even haters will ask if you're hiring. <laughs> I love that because it's not only hustle hard, but it's also recognizing that there's a certain um, spirit, a, 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 a certain change of attitude when you're working that hard and when you're doing good, positive work, it, it transforms people around you. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's yeah, exciting. it's really, it's important to remember that what you do is, you know, like people see it. And I, I think in the last few years, I've been reminded, you know, you kind of get into this like head down moment, but people are watching what you're doing. And, and it's really fantastic when you have a conversation with someone who is just like, I saw what you did and that was pretty cool. 
<laughs> yeah, entrepreneurs have this opportunity to, to, to have incredible impact. And you never quite get to know all of that impact, but sometimes you get a taste of it and you feel you're really on the right, right track. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the details of your mission, take us back to the beginning of that beer diversity. Why did it feel important to begin doing this kind of work? And what were some of your first moves when you started? Uh, I mean, I, I wish I had this story of like, you know, I, I then rose up and created this this company to to do these amazing things. Um, I started beard by beard diversity. That's not how it starts. I, I wish I wish that's how it started. Um, it started by accident, to be honest. I uh, I had been a beer rep for a bunch of years and was super burned out and was looking for a change and was gonna you know completely get out of the industry. And, and had almost, you know, two, two seconds away from signing on to, to be a, a postal carrier and, uh, and got a, got a break where someone said to me, you know, you need to talk to this woman. You have so many things in, uh, in common and, and, you, you know, you should figure out something to work with her. And so the long story short was in the end, she invited me to do a presentation, um, kind of about being a woman in beer. And her whole thing was like, what's your company name? And on the spot, I was like, uh, beer diversity, because I talk about diversity in beer and I talk about the diversity of beer itself. And overnight, <laughs> hide a website together. You know, I've got some really talented friends. So, um, you know, one took a photo, like did my, my headshots for me. Another created the logo. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty, pretty decent at doing websites. So I created the website. And so it, it started out as, as kind of a short term project. I didn't think it would be a full-time job. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to do this for six to eight months and I'm going to learn that things aren't as bad as I think they are. And, and then that'll be it. Um, the company just turned five in May. So, you know, needless to say, it's kind of kept going, but it's, it's undergone some really big evolutions because in the beginning it was about having conversations with consumers and not having the conversations with the producers of, of beer and, and with time, it was like, wait, I need to talk to the people who make the product um, because they're the ones who, who control the advertising. They control the message. They control who, you know, who the product gets in front of. And so I, I kind of made a shift at that point. And then a couple of years in, it turned into so much more and started talking to like, you know, wineries and distilleries and, a, you know, a couple schools here and there, still mainly alcohol based. But in the last two years, it's really exploded to points that um, the name itself is kind of not covering what I do. And so, you know, Beer Diversity is the original version of it. And it's still the legal name, but um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that I just don't talk about alcohol as much. It's, it's still diversity based and it's always going to be because I think that that's something that we've always had to talk about. So, so, so help, help me understand, what was the mission of Beer Diversity from the beginning? I think initially it was really just to have conversations with folks. I, and I mean, it's still very conversational, but about, it, uh, about diversity within alcohol, because what my experience had been as a sales rep, um, you know, I worked at, at five or six different craft breweries through Ontario and most of it as a sales rep and kind of going around and having people say like, what's it like to be a queer black woman in beer? And I was like, I don't know. I never thought about it. Uh, so that was kind of, <laughs> you know, kind of the, the main piece of what I was talking about initially was, you know, when you go drinking with your friends, you're kind of the United Nations of friends or you're in spaces where you see a lot of 
representation. But once you get into the spaces that create that alcohol or that beer, the representation just plummets. And, you know, so uh, initially it was talking to, pa- to patrons and consumers saying, you need to ask questions. You need to ask why, why, you know, you and your friends are not represented. And I just realized after a while that like, I don't think that's going to be effective. <laughs> you know, we as consumers can only make so much change. Um, so, but it, originally, yeah, it was really about, about talking to people who drank the, the product or, or interacted it you know, with it kind of in, in the wild. And what, what, what was the business model around there? Who's paying you to do this? Um, at that point, it was breweries and institutions paying to host me. And then either they were, you know, opening it up free for attendees or they were doing small ticket, you know, ticket costs. And then they would kind of give me a cut of tickets, um, which again is not a sustainable model, <laughs> especially, you know, pan- <laughs> pandemic days. Like if I had tried to do this, this company during the pandemic, obviously it would have failed immediately. Um, because everything I did was, no, we were all drinking alone. Yeah. We were all drinking very alone or we, you know, we were on zoom or we were on whatever, you know, Skype or whatever product you're using. But, um, at those points, you know, this was 2018 and we had no idea what was coming. Um, but everything was in person. And so it was, you know, I, I did a, a talk at the Toronto Public Library, at, you know, at the, the reference library. Um, so again, you know, these spaces where like large groups of people are gathering. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it paid okay. I think that, you know, kind of as you evolve as an entrepreneur, the biggest thing you always learn is how to evaluate yourself. And I did not put enough value within what I was doing in the early days. So I wasn't making a heck of a lot. Uh, it wasn't, you know, the first six months, it wasn't my primary day gig because I just, I couldn't live off of it, uh, which was, you know, one of those things of like the things I've learned. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I was, I was getting paid for it, not a lot, but I was getting paid in those, those early days, which I think was, um, was a, a really great break because at least I was lucky enough that I wasn't giving things away for like absolute free. (laughs) And, and how did that business grow? How did you manage to make a a rate closer to what you're worth and how did you manage to actually catalyze change in the industry? Um, In terms of getting paid better and and more along the lines of worth, I think it took, it took a little bit. Um, You know, I've had to adjust my prices a bit over the years, but I've been really lucky to have some really great mentors who have said, um, you know, you have to understand your value. And one of them has said to me, are you giving enough information for someone to create a million dollar idea off of what they've learned from you? And that kind of stopped me in my tracks because it was like, yeah, like people are quoting me. And, you know, she said, are you getting paid for that? Because if someone can turn it around and make more money, then you, you've got to get something that makes sense. So it was really about, you know, taking that that to heart and understanding that what I'm, you know, the product is is me <laughs> and, and the thing that I'm giving are my ideas, but like large ideas as both a consumer and a person who's worked in the industry. So it's not only was I Dorothy, but I was also the wizard behind the curtain. So... <laughs> It's, you know, being able to, to have those, those sides of the coins 
um, and being able to show people and kind of think a little differently. It's like, yeah, I guess I should get paid for this um, in real ways. And, you know, to be honest, I, I probably did like three, three changes of, of my fees, um, but I tried to be very smart about it. It wasn't, you know, oh, well, I, I didn't get paid enough, so I'm going to change it again this year. It was kind of a pick a pick a month <laughs> to review everything and then pick a month of the following year in which to lock it in. Um, and again, that was taught to me by by mentors, because if you want to be taken seriously, you can't come back two months later and be like, actually, it was just kidding. I want to get paid this much. So it was uh, it was a tough lesson to learn if you realize in you know, April of the year that you're not getting paid enough and you're not really changing your prices until the following February. Um, but I, I understood as I reached more folks and saw more things changing that like that needed to fall in line. And in terms of things changing, it wasn't just representation. It was, you know, the, the wording used in job postings. It was, um, what was being put on beer labels or how we were talking about things in classrooms, and so, you know, over the last five years, it's been it's been really fantastic because I'm finally learning how to take a, a look back at what I've done and be really proud of it. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I did a lot of time working with my head down. And so I'm trying to stick my head up every, every so often and I'm trying to do it a lot more <laughs> and kind of take a look around and see like what's happened and, you know, are things evolving along with me? Or is the thing that I talked about three years ago the thing that people are still using? Um, so it's been it's been a, a very interesting way to see kind of uh, what impact some of my work has had on on the industries. Right. One of your messages was that by um, em- by failing to embrace diversity, uh, the producers, the brands, were leaving money on the table. They were failing to make more money than they could by not understanding the potential of diversity. Um, do you think you succeeded in getting that message across? Um, yes and no. I think that some people still didn't really care about it that much. I think that the pandemic probably helped solidify that message a bit more. Um, because, you know, obviously, um, especially in Ontario, our laws around alcohol are pretty archaic. We're still running off of, of laws and regulations from, you know, like just post pro prohibition. Um, so being able to, to order alcohol to your door and to continuously be able to do that made a really big difference because now people who didn't know of you as a brewery are spending all their time on social media and learning about you. And if they didn't like what you stood for, they didn't order your product. And so you really had to be able to show during a period of time where no one's coming into your tap room or no one's coming to talk to you that you learn something about trying to embrace diversity again in, in whatever way that is, right? It doesn't have to be that it's just people of color or, or black folks being presented in all your advertising, but it had to be things that spoke to communities. And those who did it right definitely benefited because they could turn around and say this small investment had this major return and the major re- return was people buying more of my beer for shipping. Um, so I think that the pandemic really got folks to, to take it a little bit more seriously. Well, brag a little bit. What, what are, <laughs> can, can you talk about some of the changes? Maybe you don't have to mention the, any company names, but some of the changes that you've seen in the industry since, since, since you started talking this way. Yeah, I think that, I mean, part of it too is 
we we've had some some reckonings happen through the world um you know obviously in in light of of the murder of of george floyd and kind of how people have reacted Mm -hmm. to things um a lot of companies not just breweries are had started rethinking of how they presented things and understanding that folks were watching them so you know the the thing that i'm really proud of is is getting folks to to not just do a code of conduct but to do value statements and to show what they believe in and what they stand for and to you know to ask the same of those who who come into the space be they a patron or a vendor or you know a prospective employee um because i think that for too long we just kind of were all able to say i'm a good person and i have lots of diverse friends and i'm a great ally and i was like no it's time to prove it and you've got to put it in writing because we need an accountability model and so in the last probably two years um the number of of places that i've been able to work with that have rolled out value statements that they're still living by and still abiding by because it's part of just what they live has been really really impressive and it is just a piece that makes me so happy tell me just in case there's anyone who doesn't know not that i don't know um what is a value statement what should it say so value statements i always joke is the uh is the reader's digest version or if you're not as old as i am uh it's the twitter bio version of your code of conduct uh you know i think that a code of conduct quite often is legalese and it has to be um, because, you know, there's, it's a code and we're demanding this conduct of you. Um, but the value statement isn't about what your business does. It's about who you are as people. So it can be things like, you know, hate speech won't be tolerated. Um, you know, this is a space where, where people, uh, as long as you're respectful, can be yourself. Um, those kind of things where it's like, I believe in, right? So I believe in in the ability to make mistakes and learn from them and have open and honest conversations. Like that can be one of your values. But when you put it out there, you're saying, if you read this, I want you to hold me accountable to this. Um, you know, and, and it's posted everywhere. So put it on your website, put it on your social media, put it at your door when people walk in, because you don't want folks who shouldn't be in your space to be in your space. You know, the people who are all about hate speech and are about racism and just, you know, misogyny and those things. Like if they read your value statement and they say, this isn't me, the hope is that they don't even bother coming in. But if issues arise, you can kind of do the, like, don't make me tap the sign. This is what says you can't stay. And so seeing folks embrace this and writing it in their own words and in their own language, you know, some, some companies are a little more chill than others and you read their code of conduct and you're like, yeah, your lawyers definitely read, you know, wrote this for you, but the value statements are in their voice and it is, uh, it's a collaborative effort, you know, written by, by the staff and the owners and, and leadership to, to guide the ship of the company. And so, having that, you know, it's, it's four or five lines. It's really simple. It's nothing huge that you're going to be like, I didn't read it. It's simple. It's fast. It gets the point across. If you're down with it, great. Stay. If you're not down with it, maybe this isn't the place for you to be in. And is this done sort of pretty much from the point of view of, of venues like pubs and clubs, or is it for any kind of business? It's for any kind of business. It's been, it's been really great. I've, I've worked with, with factories, you know, like producing items and they've got them 
because it's it's not just about you as a patron coming into the space, but it's also for the employees. Like, here's how we we want to be treated, and here's how we converse with each other. Um, because I think that when you started a job and you get a handbook, you know, the employee handbooks are huge. No one reads them. And so to have kind of this, this high level, like, here's what we want. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're public facing or not. This is still a piece that should work for you. It's funny, the, the, when Google started out, the, it's basically its value statement was basically don't be evil. Yes, right. And, I, and later on, <laughs> and then they turned out to be evil. But uh, later on, that that developed. Yeah. Over time, that developed into a much more complex code of values, and as things got watered down and added and subtracted and everything, and then eventually they took out the don't be evil because they realized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were setting too high a standard for themselves. But it's such a great, like, you know, when you say that that's, that was their original value, and it was, because they were, you know, they were trying to bring the internet to, to everyone and to have access to information. And so when people say values are really hard to write, when you hear don't be evil, you immediately go, oh, okay. You know, and it makes you think about it, and maybe it starts a conversation. Um, but value statements can be that simple. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, as you've gone along, you applied earlier that, uh, you know, your market has expanded. So uh, how did it go? You went from breweries to distilleries and wineries and now the world was it? Like, yeah, <laughs> I presume it wasn't that simple. Uh, it wasn't that simple. But again, you know, I think the time and place uh, when the company started again is kind of this this side project thing. Um, I think people were starting to talk more about diversity. And so you know, it was my full-time job within six months and, and was getting invites to be at, at conferences that, you know, I'd only dreamt of being at. And so within my first year, I was already working with the States. Um, I've been lucky enough to to be out as, as far as Europe. I've done guest lectures um, for Auckland University. I've done keynotes for York University. Uh, you know, the I just, I just did a keynote for uh, a Women of the Year event. So, and these, obviously, you know, the, the, these aren't beer things. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of this, this really great moment where there is a reminder that the, the industry may change, but the problem or the issue remains the same. And so what I've been trying to do is kind of, you know, obviously evolve along with it. I'm not as involved in, in beer as I was previously because I worked in it previously, um, but I'm still very interested in it, but I, I'm loving the ability to take what I've learned through the years and apply it to, to other industries and educational institutions and, you know, and, and get into the, the HR pieces of it and, and learn more about it. So um, I've kind of done some alternate logos because the company just turned five. Um, so, you know, the company name is still Beer Diversity, but I've created the alternate logo of Bee Diversity with no alcohol imagery. Um, because there are situations where alcohol is not the thing I'm talking about, and it's not appropriate to have it as that piece. So, you know, again, what I've learned is that you've, you've got to evolve to stay relevant, but you don't have to change everything you talk about. So how do you spell the B in B diversity? Is it it's, just the it's, letter B? Yeah, it's just the alphabetical letter B. And so that is, it's, <laughs> you know, and it's, and it's done that way too, because then that starts a conversation. Because then it's, what do you think the B would stand for? 
you know, what do you think it stands for before we have the conversation? And what do you think it stands for after we have a conversation? Right. I, I was going to ask you about the the need for a new brand. And, and, and I know how difficult it is for entrepreneurs as the company evolves to, you know, make that tough decision. When is it a time to realize that you have to change the brand, uh, you know, maybe give up some of the goodwill associated with it and start that hard, hard task of building another brand. But it sounds like you've just dropped <laughs> a, a couple letters and it sounds almost the same. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I mean, it, it was very lucky to be able to do that um, because the last thing I wanted to do was slam on the brakes and make too much of a change because it's, you know, the brand has gotten to a point where it is recognized in, in a lot of spots um, throughout Canada and through the States. And so I was really afraid of losing that momentum, but being able to, to hold the two, the two logos and, you know, and the word marks so closely intertwined um, it allows people to go, oh, okay, that's you too. And it looks the same. And there's nothing about it where you're like, oh, is that part of it? Because that looks really different. So I was I was really lucky to work with an agency out here, um, Fellows Agency, which is based in Kitchener-Waterloo. And those guys were super, they did a lot of homework <laughs> to, make it, to make it look so good and to keep it flowing in a way that if you overlap the logos, they fit together perfectly there's, there's no difference, you know, except for the, the image in the middle. So, um, beer diversity has a, a pint glass in the middle. B diversity actually has a fingerprint. Um, because again, you know, it's something that everyone recognizes. And if you don't have a fingerprint, then, you know, obviously that makes you very unique, but you know, the concept of fingerprints. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a wonderful, uh, wonderful image. Does that maybe get you into the high school market where, where beer might have been a bit of a liability. Yeah, it does. Cause I've actually lost work um, from schools asking me to come and talk. So it's um, you know, and, and that happened kind of early days where people were hearing about me and being like, Oh, we want you to come talk to your, you know, talk to our school, but we can't show your logo. We can't use your name. You can't wear anything in terms of the imagery. And then they'd come back and be like, actually, we just can't do it. <laughs> you know? So, uh, so this will give me a better opportunity and again, you know, not everyone drinks and not everyone has a good relationship with alcohol, either through their own experiences or, or through things around them. And so, you know, I'm talking about equity and inclusion, and I'm excluding a bunch of people with the original logo. Um, so I think that that having this this secondary piece also shows that like, yeah, I want to talk about equity, but I also want to be equal and inclusive. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. As you as your business has grown, as as you've learned more and studied more and and gotten better at telling your message, um, what's the part of your message that hits home the most? If, if, if we were if I were to go to Auckland University, and that sounds like a very good idea, yeah. and and hear you speak, um, you know, what would be the the main message I would take away from that? I think that it's don't be afraid to have a conversation with people. We're all going to get things wrong. Um, you know, the the way that I present is is like this conversation we're having now. I just I just want to talk about it, um, and I think that I want people to take it you know take away that it doesn't have to be stuffy and formal, and use a lot of buzzwords. And we're going to chat together. I'm not going to talk at you. And, and I hope that people go away being like, oh, I can have a conversation. 
and maybe I'll get it wrong, but now I don't have to freeze and think I can never have this conversation again because I've, I've absolutely blown it. I've actually been in that. Yeah. <laughs> but we yeah, all have, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I totally identify with that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and has, 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 has the message changed a lot over that time? What, what did you sort of learn about appealing to all these different diverse markets, but finding that universal hook that, that, that gets them to, to listen and hopefully change? I think the, you know, the, there's the evolution, which, which I always talk about is the evolution of language. Um, you know, things you could say even four years ago aren't necessarily okay now. And so it's the, let's get the base of it. And when we talk about diversity, define it for the space that you inhabit. Don't look at it as like the diversity of Ontario. You're not going to make it all the way across Ontario. It's a huge province, uh, you know? And if you're like, oh, BC, like it's huge. What's the diversity in your, you know, in your neighborhood? What's it, if you live in a condo, what's the diversity in your building? What's it look like? It's going to look different for you than it does for others. And that's kind of been the message that I've kept consistently because I think it's one of those important pieces that as humans, we want to simplify things, but the problem is that we simplify them too much. So when you say diversity, you know, in, in 2020, uh, again, after George Floyd's murder was televised, we all talked about diversity being black people. And then if we were to expand, it would be like, oh, BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color. And it was like, yeah, cool. That's still one group of people. Like, you know, what about uh, people over the age of 45 in a tap room? What about the seniors market? What about, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you know, disabled groups? What about LGBTQ plus communities? Like, so getting folks to kind of stop and say, oh, if I bring it in closer, it does look different. And, and I think that that's been the piece that I've always been like, let's talk about this a bit more because in two years it may shift again. And do you mostly get paid to, to, to speak or are you still like involved in sitting down with companies and helping them get their acts together? <laughs> I think it's a little bit companies of companies and organizations. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of both. I think there are still a lot of speaking engagements, um, but what's happening now is I'm really I'm starting to get into long-term relationships with companies. Um, the first couple of years, it was very like piecemeal. You know, I need you right now, so I'll come in, I'll do a, a staff session or or a workshop, and then I'll probably never see you again. And so, one of my my longest clients is in Vancouver. It's Parallel Forty Nine, which is a brewery out there, and I've been with them for three years. And you know, there's there's constant. We're kind of evolving together. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working with, I've done work with Seneca College, that was for a couple of years, um, United Malt Group, which has been a couple of years. So, I, you know, so we're starting, kind of starting to get into these pieces. And then keynotes and, and industry talks are kind of that secondary piece. So it's definitely done the shift from, from just doing talks as, as they were to having more relationship building and have it be that let's work together to be able to show like different touch points and what's our next step and how have we evolved together and what are we putting out and changing, um, you know, as, as this partnership. And so it's been, it's been really great to see this company turn into that. So there's a lot of consulting where 
previously there wasn't that much. Consulting probably only made up 15% of the business. And now I would say it's it's shifted and it's probably 85% of the business. Right. And is, this, is the business still you or do you have associates? It's still me. It's so, me, myself, and I. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> what are your plans for growing the business? Um, I would love to be able to do it. I think that if if I had it to do over again, I would probably have have worked it that it would have been easier to bring someone in earlier. Um, the way that again, because this company, you know, there was no formal business plan at the first the first parts of it, it was set up based on my experiences. And so it's very hard to bring someone else in when it's like, well, I need you to have experiences that are not necessarily similar to mine, but I need you to to have certain touch points that are kind of non-negotiable. And to be able to do that, I would be asking someone who is similar to me, who is underrepresented within the beer industry to then leave the beer industry to come work with me. Uh, so it just was like, I can't do that because I want you to work in beer. Um, <laughs> so I think that that as things continue to, to grow and evolve, um, I can only do this for so long on my own. And I think that it's, um, you know, kind of trying to look at the next the next level of, of change and growth would definitely involve either a secondary or, or an assistant of some sort. I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that as you've uh, been doing this work, you've been able to sort of systematize um, the, the situation and, and the prescriptions. And so I'm thinking that it might be easier now for someone to come in and, and to, from whatever background and be able to to do some of your work. I, I don't I mean, know about you're that. You're not Rick. making it up as you go along anymore. Right? <laughs> I think I'm still making up parts of it, right? Because again, there's still so much tied into my experience. Um, there is always an experiential aspect to the story I tell, and I'm not I'm not a person who writes down, you know, my my talks or my keynotes or my sessions. Um, I am very off the cuff with with things that I do, you know, for for good or for bad. Uh, it's, so I think that there are pieces, thankfully, that someone could take over, but a lot of the talks are still me. So it's kind of that figuring out, like, what is your experience and what is the story that you could tell? Because, you know, if someone were to take that piece over, it would still have to be that storytelling aspect. I'm I'm huge on telling stories because I think that is the most effective way to get someone to either shift how they see things or how to help them have that aha moment is through a really engaging story. Um, and so that is, is the right. thing that, that I've really been like grabbing onto. It's, do you think that um, um, things are getting better? I'm always cautiously optimistic. I think that we're, we've taken too many steps backwards in things. <laughs> um, you know, if you watch the news, which I unfortunately watch the news too many times a day, but um, we have these these moments of great victories, and then we have these moments of absolutely crushing defeats. And I think that we get through these points, you know, again, like 2020 was a really horrible year for a multitude of reasons. Um, but it made us care more and it made us do so much more. And I think that part of it was because we were missing and craving human interaction. And so you know, 2020 through till 2021, we really did a lot of great things, but now I'm seeing a lot of it being slowly undone because we're kind of getting back to this weird pre-pandemic behavior 
where it doesn't matter anymore. And so I think that we still have a very long way to go. Um, you know, I always say that this is, this is a lifetime marathon and you'll, you know, and, and the only way that the marathon ends is death, uh, which is, is grim, but it's true. Um, and I think that when we're, you know, running this, this marathon of life, we have some really great miles and we have some terrible miles. And I think right now our miles aren't as strong as they were previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's very thoughtful and, and truthful. Thank you. Wondering how we as consumers and customers can be more aware of inclusive and diverse businesses so that we can vote with our dollars and support them. Any, any advice for consumers who want to you know, help push a little bit of change along the way? For sure. I think the first thing is if you have a favorite place that you go to, which we all do, ask them if they have a code of conduct, ask them if they have value statements. Um, you know, and if they say, yeah, we have a code of conduct, like ask them, do people read it? Do you live by it? Do you abide it? Uh, if they have value statements, where are they? Can I see them? A really good place. will just be like, yeah, it's on the wall. You just walk past it. Um, or it's on the, you know, it's on the <laughs> table. It's by the bar. It's somewhere that's visible. Um, ask them what they believe in. It's, you know, you, you, we have these moments where we go to places that reflect our interests, but we don't necessarily have them reflect our values. Don't be afraid to leave. If it's, if it's a place that doesn't work for you, if there's, you know, homophobic jokes and and misogyny happening around you, don't stay. We don't have to be polite and say like, this is terrible, but I'm going to finish, you know, my meal. If you have to leave because something's not going right, tell them, um, you know, I, I end up in awkward situations too, where it's like, I'd rather not do this. Um, if you're really uncomfortable about it, send an email later, send a message through, through Instagram and tell them exactly what it was that happened that you weren't okay with. And don't take a gift card, you know, cause that's always like, I'll just give you money to make it better. Um, take, <laughs> take you know, ask them what they're going to do to make it better. What's, what's your game plan? this was this terrible thing that happened. What happens now? Because I'm not going to come back. So you're asking Canadians to be confrontational? I am not. I am just saying, if you're not comfortable being confrontational, write an email. Do it, do it that way later, right? This is not about getting in people's faces because people make mistakes. The best places can do some of the worst things. I've made mistakes. I do it all the time. But the question is, what do what do you do when you make the mistake? You as the company, do you put out an apology that doesn't make any sense, that's completely toothless? Or do you put out an apology that has an accountability model built into it and action items? Hi, we made this big mistake. Here's the action that we are taking. We will give you updates on it in the next quarter because we need time to set things up. So I think that it's not about being confrontational, but it's like, if, if you were with your friend and, you know, your friend is a person of color and the bartender is being super racist, you're not going to be like, oh, let's go back there next week. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's that, that kind of thing that if you're not comfortable saying anything, then definitely vote with your dollars and don't go back. But we need to be, you know, we need to get away from this weird, like Canadians or, you know, all shucks, Jew Willikers were really lovely. Um, it's, it's time to start saying things out loud. We're, we're in an era where, you know, we had convoys that other countries are influenced by now. 
So we need to stop being like, we're the shy, quiet Canadians. Um, if there is a, a, you know, if you have a problem with a pizza, you'll send it back. If you have a problem with racism, you'll just take it and go home. Um, no. <laughs> so it's like, sometimes you got to be uncomfortable with it too. And, and I think that, you know, if we're going to throw around the notion of allyship and these things, like be an ally, get your hands dirty, um, say something. And it, it doesn't have to be confrontational, but just say something. Even if the thing you say is, hey, that wasn't cool. It doesn't have to be big and, and you know, uh, ground shaking. So and you'll, you'll feel really gross the first time you do it. But trust me, you'll feel a lot better if you keep doing it. I, I'd like to frame everything you just said. <laughs> no, so Let's be allies. Hey, say something. I love it. I yeah. love it. Thank you so much. Just before we wrap up, I just want to switch again to a business topic of supplier diversity. Have you found that organizations are open to discussing the idea that it's important to talk about how you diversify uh, your, your, your supply chain and, and make it open to maybe non-traditional uh, suppliers? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're in the era of innovation. Um you know, chat, GPT, and AI are changing how we think about things. And seeing this diversity, you know, the diversity of suppliers means that you're bringing in new thoughts and new approaches that you're not thinking about. And if we want to just break it down to like, you know, the notion of it was capitalism all along, um, they're going to help you make more money. They're going to help you reach sectors that you didn't think you could get into, they're going to help you, you know, reframe parts that you've been stuck on for a year. And so having this, this diversity is just, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. I think it pays back in spades, both for, you know, the people who, who bring you in and, and those who uh, are, are employed. Right. Um, in, in a lot of businesses, of course, there are, you know, personal relationships between companies and suppliers and, and in big companies as well as small ones. Um, how do you get people to like think about, yeah, maybe we should just change things up a bit, switch things up a bit. I think that it's how far do you want your business to continue? How, how many more people do you want wearing your shirt or drinking your, your beer? Um, change is scary, but getting left behind by your competitors is scarier. It's, you know, taking that first step into making those changes is such a huge step. But it's not that you're slamming on your brakes and completely changing who you are or what you represent. You're just making a little bit more room for folks to come in and, and enjoy what you're doing and what you're making. And so don't think of it as I've got to scrap everything and start over because what you've got obviously has worked for a period of time, but not enough people see it, not enough people experience it. And that's kind of that, pe you know, that piece to hold on to is... If you, if you want to have your business around for another 10 years, like think of who you talk to, think of what your reach is. Do you have a lot of people who understand your message? You know, are they singing your jingle? Are they, you know, are they, they talking about your taglines? Um, I think that, you know, having those pieces at the back of your mind is how do I, how do I get further afield when I've only gone through half of the field in my backyard? Beautiful. We've been talking with Ren Navarro of Beer Diversity or Bee Diversity. Final question, Ren, the one we ask everybody. Um, any final, and this is the toughest one of all because you've already spoken so much, but you have any other thoughts, final words of wisdom or advice 
for Canadian entrepreneurs struggling through these times? Um, make sure that you've got a network. Talk to folks. And, you know, I, I think that part of my my mistake at the start was just talking to people in the alcohol industry. And and now I realize, you know, talk to folks in in HR and industries that you're not in. Talk to entrepreneurs who are maybe talking about the same thing, but not dealing with the same, you know, companies. So in my case, talking to, to entrepreneurs who do diversity work, but don't do anything with alcohol. Um, get yourself a network and get yourself a strong network and understand that you got to bring something to the table. You're not just going to get info from them, but because you're in different sectors doing possibly the same kind of piece, um, having a really strong network makes the makes such a huge difference. Um, you got to be able to talk to someone at the end of the day, create, you know, recurring conversations with people, like have a standing date where you just do a quick half hour phone call or Zoom or coffee with someone just to be like, what are your wins? What's the piece that, you know, I need to be held accountable to um, here are the things that I say I'm going to do, because if you just scribble it down on a piece of paper on your desk, I, you know, trust me, you're going to lose it in about two weeks. So strong network, <laughs> entrepreneurs from all different backgrounds of all different levels of experience, so important to have in your corner. Right. And, and that, that, that's so important, not just to, to, to have a strong network, but to use that network, to, to, to keep talking to them, to keep the conversations flowing, to keep the conversation changing yeah. with them. Uh, that that's that's so important. It it takes a community to to, to raise a business, and uh, you've got to create the community to do it. It really does. <laughs> All right, Ren, thank you so much for telling us about your journey at Beer or Be Diversity, and congratulations on the tremendous work you're doing. And wishing you all the best of luck and further growth in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we'll talk again. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.